World War II may have ended 73 years ago, but for a shrinking group of Echuca Moama men, their memories remain crystal clear. Andrew Mole has interviewed five men. Here are the voices of our veterans. Frank Hazelman started in one war, and by the time the shooting was over, already found himself in another. He finished up working in signals and served in the Pacific, where signals would be filtered from the sky and sent to interpreters, sometimes going as far as the legendary Bletchley Park in the UK. And no sooner had the Japanese surrendered than his unit was told to start monitoring the Russians as the Cold War replaced the World War. Now tell me, the hat you've got on, is that your original? This is the original. So 1942 went, model. And you went right through the war with you? I, when, when I didn't wear it, I had it put, put away in a plastic bag. Right. Yeah. But mostly you wore it? Oh, well, not when I wore up in New Guinea. You would have had your headphones. Yeah, you had giggle hats to wear then. Yep. But, uh, seen pretty good service. Yes, and, well, it looks pretty good for its age, that's Well, if sure. I didn't put it in a plastic bag, the... The, the moths. Moths, yeah. <coughs> they love this stuff. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they know, know get rid of this. <laughs> and if it got eaten, did they issue you with a new one? No, this is the... This is the only one I ever had. Right. So, so Frank, you served with the Army during the war, yeah. but that's not how you started out, is it? How did you actually first try to get into the armed forces? I tried to get into the... Well, I thought the Air Force would have been the pretty one. Nice yeah. uniform and everything. No, they wanted to know too much. They wanted my age, my birth certificates, and my parents' consent, and all this sort of jazz, you know. And you didn't have any of that? No, I couldn't. No. I was only 17. <laughs> so when the Air Force found it a bit much, you tried the Army? Yeah, I thought, well, that's the next best. My dad was in the army during the first war. Oh, he wasn't too good, but anyway. Yeah. No, no. I did all my preparation work in Melbourne yeah. when I was with, with one of the one of the uh, army centres down there. Yep. Yeah. And uh, they had me tossed before I started. So I had to wait till I was 18 then. <laughs> oh, so you still had to wait to be 18 with the Army? Yeah. Okay. Mm. And so you went in, in, you enlisted in 42. 42. <clears throat> when did you, where did you do your basic training? Uh, well, first of all, I started off at the Caulfield Race Course, coldest place in the world. <laughs> and uh, they sent me out to... Um, Oh, first of all, they lined us up for about a week after. Where do you want to, what do you want to do? And I said, signals. Because I'd learnt the Morse code in the railways. Right. So, uh, I thought, oh, signals, that'll do. Bendigo training, I'll get home every weekend. That was not the case. They sent me out to Park Orchards in the mud. <laughs> yeah, so, well, I was only there for a week. Oh, OK. And then they put us on a train, <coughs> sent us to um, Mangella. Right. That was 12 miles out of Albury. It was a big, it was originally a big army camp. But I think it was a whole square mile of it. it, was just barracks and that. Right. And was it full of soldiers when you got there? No, there was a few. Yep. 
which is nice of them were gone, I think. But anyway, they uh, they put us in there, and uh, that's where we did our training. And the training was pretty intensive, full on. Right. Yeah. And you you did mostly intercepts with Japanese signals. Yeah. So did they try and teach you Japanese? No, not Japanese, but the signal. The signal code? Yeah. <clears throat> and what was the code that they were using? Um, Kana. Kana code? Mm. Okay. And where were you based to do that? In Australia or did you end up in the Pacific? No, we ended up in the Pacific. Uh, my first trip was to New, New Guinea, to Port Moresby. I was only there for a couple of weeks. And uh, then they flew us out to, uh, to Brisbane, right. just out of Brisbane. <coughs> Yep. They established a camp there, Kalinga. Yep. Kalinga. And, and uh, was that a specialist signals camp? Yeah. Right. Oh, it was very hush hush, all this, especially learning the Japanese and that. Um, and then how long were you in the Pacific for? Oh, the rest of the war. Okay. <laughs> oh, well, on and off sort of thing. Yep. And they sort of moved you around a bit? Yeah. Oh, went to. Uh, Different places, Port Moresby from there to uh, Finch Haven. Haven. And how long were you there? Um, I don't know exactly. I can't remember. Yeah. And in the signals, you were kind of behind the front lines, obviously, in the yeah. sig- signals unit. Yeah. But did you ever have any trouble? Uh, oh, yeah. Nearly got my head blown off once. <laughs> Whereabouts was that? Um, that was at Finch Haven. Right. Yeah. Was that what a bombing raid or? Yeah. Oh no, it was the Americans that had established a bit of a bit of a dump there, a bit of a fuel dump. Oh, okay. So a supply depot. Yeah. Yep. And uh, we were camped just near the fuel dump. We looked down on it actually. All these forty-four gallon drums, full of very <laughs> flammable fuel. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, one morning, and my mate and I were standing outside the tent. Just talking, he was from Mildura, mm. and uh, we got to know each other pretty well. And we were just standing there talking, and all of a sudden, boom, away she went. The Japs had the ha- happy knack of sneaking these little blokes in. A, snake, a plane had come in with his engine off, and that sort of thing. Oh, you know? he just glided. It happened in Port Moresby a couple of times, too. Right, and then but, he dropped bombs or he just opened up yeah, with his machine gun? Yeah, just dropped the bombs and right. on the dump and it just went woof. And you and ran uh, very fast. I got a bit, just went past my face. So a close call. Yeah. Landed at the mate's feet and I said to him, pick that up, Jack. He picked it up and it was bloody hot, so he put it, dropped it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the casing off, one of the, off the bomb. Right, okay. And... Then you, you were in Moritai when the war finished? Yeah. And still doing the signals there? Yeah. But I believe once the war was over, in mid-August, you changed who you were listening to? Yeah. What did we do then? Russians. <laughs> Had we cracked the Russian code? They were on our side. <laughs> they were then? Yeah. And that was the directive from on high, to start listening to the Russians? Yeah. Right. And how long were you doing that for? Oh, I don't know. I was there for five months, I think. Right. The moment with the fuel dump, was that the only time you thought you were at risk when they blew up the fuel dump? Oh, one night in Port Moresby. The first week I was there, mate said to me, well, go to the pictures. Open air pictures. Yep. Grab a four-gallon drum or something. And 
take that with you to sit on. And uh, halfway through the picture, boom, one of these silent ones had come in yeah. and probably had a shot at us where we had the lights on and missed us and went into the next lot. So uh, that was one near miss. Oh, Finchhaven was a near miss too. As the Yanks had a, uh, when our boys landed at uh, Scarlet Beach and took that, opposite Finchhaven on the other side of the peninsula, the Yanks had established a landing spot and the barges that used to come in and unload there. Making a target for the Japanese. And the Japanese come over every night and everybody was shot at us. I didn't know I could get so close to the <laughs> ground, to be quite honest. <laughs> With the pig intercepting the Japanese, where did that go from you? Went from us to uh, Brisbane. We had a centre there. And that was an Australian army centre? It was Australian, yeah. Right. But I'm assuming uh, you shared Australia it with the Americans. It was very good, too. They did a lot of good work. Uh, they were in one of the suburbs in Brisbane. They, the army bought this big house, <coughs> and they were in that. If they, I guess if anything was too much for them, or was of more interest to Blitzley Park, that's where it went. Oh, OK. And that's the Blitzley Park medal. Oh, right. So mm. your work finished up in Bletchley Park? Oh, well, yeah, the work finished up there. Yeah. Is that where the Japan, where the Russian signals went to? I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't tell you? They, they didn't tell us anything. Right. And on your way through the system, I gather you got quite ill with measles, of all things. Oh, that was early in the piece, yeah. yeah. Bangilla. Yes, well, I was in the uh, army hospital in uh, Bangilla. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how long I was here, I can't remember now. It's all on records. In fact, I was pretty crook. They sent for my dad. Oh, that crook. Mm. And he was in his circle and uh, he caught the tri- caught the uh, bus down okay. to walk to Albury. Well, we're going to assume you came good because you're sitting here today. By that time. <laughs> <laughs> A few now, days after that, you know, I right. picked up again. And you got back to Australia a couple of times during the war on leave? Oh, yeah, leave, yeah. We had leave from time to time. And in 1945, while you are on leave, you met someone called Heather. <laughs> best thing I ever did in my life. <laughs> and where did you meet her? At the dance in Echuca. At the dance in Echuca. And you've still got it today? Yep. Yep. I walked into the hall and I looked across and these three young women sitting, standing on the other side talking. One was a blonde with long hair. And I thought, boy, that's... I hadn't seen a white woman for months. <laughs> And she was a pretty good-looking one. She was a good-looker, yeah. And so when did you... Did you start talking to her that night or did you just look yeah, from a distance? Yeah, night, yeah. I didn't waste any time. <laughs> <laughs> I started talking to her and uh, had a couple of dances. Had a dance and then... A, actually, I'd taken somebody else to the dance. Right. My cousin. Oh. It was, it was a female too. And so you ditched her? So, no, I didn't ditch her. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I said to uh, Heather after, I said that was my cousin that was there, I'd have a dance with Heather and then I'd have a dance with my cousin and then I'd have another dance with Heather. <laughs> this went on and on all night. <laughs> Finally, I asked her, could I take her home? Naturally enough. And she said yes, so that was pretty good. And then I had two, two women. <laughs> As I said, I didn't ask her where she lived. 
That was, could have been the snag. Mm-hmm. She might have lived in Moama. Yeah. And that'd been a hell of a long walk home. But she didn't. No, but she lived about 150 metres from me. From your own home? Yeah. And you didn't know her? I didn't know it, no. Well, <laughs> that's strange, isn't it? How old were you then? <clears throat> about 20? Uh, no, I'd been a bit older than that, I think. Right. And when did you get married? 1947. So you had a long engagement. Well, I didn't ask her to marry me for a long time because she was living with her mother. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> and her mother had two brothers in the First War and they were both killed. So it was a pretty sore point, a bloke in uniform. Yes. So uh, I didn't ask for her hand, daughter's hand until after the war. And what did you and your, your mates think when you heard that the Japanese had surrendered and it was all over? Home. We're going home. <laughs> and, and we're still in one piece. Yeah. We're going home, all right, but we're stuck in Moritai for another five months. So it would have been a frustrating time. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, we filled in the time, all right. When the Ameri- we took over an American camp and they had everything... They had cases of sultanas, bags of sugar, everything that we couldn't get, they had lifted all behind. And clothing. Mm-hmm. I never bought any working clothes for, I reckon, three years. <laughs> <laughs> but the biggest thing was to get it home. <laughs> but uh, I was, my best mate, he was a wine chemist from Burbeen. Mm-hmm. He says, why don't we make some alcohol? So we went over to the dump next door. Just across the road, there was a plain dump. We get all the tubing and everything that we needed. All the aluminium. And you had all that American sugar? And we had all the sugar and we had the sultanas. So we, he had it all worked out, he could do it. He's come from Urbane. And... Uh, we made this still and everything. Hung a petrol truck, drum a petrol up in the tree and run the pipe down. And uh, she'd burble away and the alcohol would drip out. Just a drip at a time, very slowly. But anyway, the Yanks had a, a cordial factory there, or a soft drink factory. And we used to get the, the soft drink that they wanted and we'd tip that much out of it and fill it up with alcohol. It was pure alcohol, you throw it in the ground, now it'd been burned. Right. And we used to sell it back to them. They'd, they'd come in for their boats, they were dumping stuff out to sea. And uh, I bought a little uh, wooden boat, took four blokes to carry it. <laughs> it was heavy. And we we were camped right on the beach. Mm. And we used to run that out to the boats and... Sell them the drink. Sell them the drinks. Didn't cost us any. (laughs) I forget what we used to get for it. Two (laughs) guilders a bottle or something like that. And And you did that until you went home? Yeah. We did that. Got rid of a fair bit of alcohol. (laughs) We didn't use it ourselves, but uh, 
we put it in this, these other drinks and sold it back to the eggs. God bless America. <laughs> yeah, never really much time for Yanks anyway. <laughs> and when did you get back to Australia? The war finished in 45, yeah, yeah well, 46. About the 3rd of February I got back. Okay. Uh, January, sorry. Right. About the 3rd of January. So it's yeah. nearly five months after the war had yeah. finished. And you had to, what, wait for a boat or a plane? It was a, well, it's a great thing, a Liberty boat. And uh, they dropped, must have dropped some off in Sydney too and dropped us off in Brisbane and uh, went back to Britain. And she broke in half. Really? Yeah. And went down? Did the, they lose anyone? On the rocks off the Irish coast. Yeah. Did mm. they lose anyone? No. All saved? No, everybody was... Well, that's good. ...got out and walked off it. Oh, OK. But, uh, well, fortunately, it didn't break in half while you were on it. Yeah, well, you can be lucky, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose you have to have some luck sometimes. Yeah. OK. And did you keep in touch with your, the people you'd served with? Yes. We had a, we still have uh, a chappy in Melbourne. Most of them are gone now, mm. but this chappy he uh, he runs a newsletter. It was twice a year, but it, he's got old too now. <laughs> he finds it pretty hard to manage it. Too. He might be a month older than me. I don't know. Right, but. Uh, all the same, he's done a good job, there's no doubt about it. But our newsletter was started in 1946 at Rangela. Right. And it was... Chappie started it there. OK. Yeah. So when you came home, did you just pick up where you left off, or...? Oh. I did a rehab, rehabilitation right. course. But I, I worked at the ball bearing factory in Atuka. Right. I must have been there for six months, I suppose. But uh, that was the only job, sort of. Everybody went to the ball bearing factory. And uh, uh, I'd bought, I bought a block of land and uh, built a house on it. Uh, and then when we got married, we moved into the house. Finished, half finished, anyway. <laughs> By that time, I'm a carpenter, you see. Oh, well, no wonder I it wasn't finished. Fix all these things. Yep. <laughs> OK. And looking back from where we are today, what's perhaps the strongest memory you have of your time in, overseas during the war? Uh, wartime, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it was the most worrisome, especially for my family yep. I tell you about my mum she had a father who was in the first world war and he came he was invalided home in 1917 he was pretty crook he used to he was one of these tunnellers right they used to tunnel yep. under the German lines trying to blow up the trenches yep <coughs> anyway um, Our house was only, I suppose, three to four hundred yards away from the railway station. And every time I went home on leave, Mum used to look after me like a baby, but that was beside the point. 
but I had to go and catch the train to go back to camp. Dad was the one who'd take me. Mum would not go near me, near the railway station. She wouldn't come with me to go say goodbye or anything. It was just too much for her, I think. Right. Well, she had... I was in the army. My sister was in the army. Uh, and my brother was in the Air Force. So she had the three of us. Uh, so she had a lot of sleepless nights. She had a lot of people to think about. So uh, she wouldn't go in wouldn't go near it, seeing us off or anything. Right. So I suppose she was. And did you all come home? Probably break down. Yeah, we all came <coughs> home. Sister died, uh, I don't suppose, 10, 12 years ago, might have been more. Brother died about seven or eight years ago, and I'm the only poor mugler. <coughs> if you had the opportunity to give someone a message about the war, like the young generation today, what would you say? That's a bit hard. Depends on the uh, necessities, I suppose, at the time. Right. Uh, I've got four young grandsons, or they're in their 40s now, but uh, they're very interested in any stuff that I've got. Right. Sort of thing, you know. Um, I wrote a book one time, only a small one, so we, from when I was a kid, up to... Oh, OK, up to the war. Yeah. And wife goes crooked at me all the time, she says, but you never put anything in it about your army service. I said, well... And is that because you'd like to... not necessarily forget about it, but you'd like to keep it out of your life now? Yeah, well, it was nothing to do with anybody else, really. Right. I would not have missed it for 100 quid.